This is Mark Geiger from WME, William Morris Endeavor Entertainment, coming to you on Dan Steinberg's podcast. It's time to relax, lay back, and put the Promoter 101 podcast on high as it's episode 164. It's happening right now, baby. What a way to get us in the mood, Dan. Episode 164 coming at you. We're going to be finishing out the New York sessions, continuing on today with CA's Christine Marshall back on the podcast for a full interview later on. Plus, Trey Vetter with Six Man is going to be right here for three questions. Show us love, baby. Show us love. Show me love, baby. Channeling Holly right now. It's great. My good friend, Ollie Rosenblatt. Look him up. Show him love. Puppy says hello. Episode 164, Promoter 101, coming at you right now. I am Barbara Hubbard from New Mexico State, retired. We're in Promoter 101. So uh, you you guys have probably heard some rumors, some talk. You sound the street. Things are happening, buzzing. Streets are talking. It's happening. The end of the podcast is near, but we're not just going to go away quietly. (laughs) We're going to be dramatic about it and go out like some big ass motherfuckers. Tell them about it, Luke. That's right, Dan. The IEBA conference, we are coming at you this October 27th to the 29th in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee at the JW Marriott Hotel. October 29th, we are going to be hosting our very last live recording of this podcast, our last ever interview, and we're looking forward to wrapping up this wonderful adventure with so many of our friends in attendance. And we hope to see you there as well, too. You can still register for the conference at ieba.org. So we'll see you in Nashville. It's going to be a hoot and some fun and some tears. We're going to go out in style. If you got something you want to share with us, simply email us at steiny at promoter101.net. We're happy to respond to you. Well, moderately happy. Moderately happy is right, Dan. If you'd rather hit us on social media, you're more than welcome to follow us on Twitter. Join the conversation there. I'm at W. Luke Pierce. Dan's at The Jew. The show's Promoter 101. You can find us on Instagram. Steiny Promoter 101 is the show. Luke is W. Luke Pierce, and I am Dan Presents. If you see a Russian bot giving you ads for Promoter 101 on Facebook, be sure to like that there, too. Just don't listen to any of the political commentary. You can find us on Facebook at Promoter 101, Tumblr at Promoter 101, as well as on the web at Promoter101.com or .nam. And you can find us now, Connor, where? On LinkedIn, where the cool kids are. Connor, what's your uh, Instagram page? Because you got some interesting videos people should be checking out. My Instagram is at Connor Phoenix Yo, and I do weird music things. Is the Yo part of that? At Connor Phoenix Yo? Yes. Oh, okay. So that wasn't just like, yo, I'm telling you that. It's like literally at Connor Phoenix with the Y-O at the end. Yo, tell your mother. Fergie, Tour Design. I'm on Promoter 101. Hey, let's celebrate some birthdays for the week of July 1st to the 8th, 2019, in the year of our Lord. On Monday, wishing a happy birthday to Brian Luther and Denise Ross. Tuesday, 7-2, Bobby Clay and Rich Corsi, two great promoters. On Wednesday the 3rd, the eve of our Independence Day, David Temilevich, happy birthday. 7-4, Thursday, a beautiful holiday for you, celebrating the blessed land that we love. Jason Ross, Mark 
Mark Ryder, Jim McCarthy, and Pat Rayner. That's a really big crew on 4th of July celebrating. They get screwed out of their birthday, kind of, or they're always off for it, depending on how you look at it. They're always drinking on the birthday, Dan. On Friday the 5th, ooh, this is a great day of birthdays. From ICM Partners, Andrea Johnson, Bill Bass, Steve Sperling, and from Music City, Tennessee, Thor himself, Donnie Reese. Andrea Johnson, you gotta love that. 7-6, that's Saturday. Michael Haskin, Steve Belchick, Megan White, and Chris Christina Weiss. Wow. Big names. Big names indeed, Dan. And on Sunday the 7th, wishing a happy birthday to Kristen Brooks. And on the 8th, Bob Zevers. And hey, don't give me a hard time that we did Monday twice because uh, we fell behind somehow. So we're catching back up. So Monday to Monday this week. There you have it. Wonderful wishes to everybody celebrating a birthday this eight days from all your friends here at Promoter 101. Jim Glancy Barry presents on Promoter 101. Promoter 101 Flashbacks. Episode 36. Mitch Rose. How do you get into the mailroom and how do you move out of the mailroom? What is that step to actually get a job with CAA? Well, the process has changed a lot since I started. When I started, I started actually in the mailroom. And the first rule of mailroom is get out of the mailroom. <laughs> and you just want any job. But you got to get in first. But you got to get in. And in those days, it wasn't so hard to get in because nobody knew what CAA is. These days, the entry to CAA is to be an assistant. And you start as an assistant and you make yourself known and you cover shows and you network within the halls of the company. And then if the leadership group thinks that someone is on the track, we will take them out of being an assistant and put them in the mailroom. These days, they only have to go into the mailroom for three months. It's a three-month process where they learn the company, they learn the different areas of the company. And because CA has gotten to be such a big company, it really serves them right when they become an agent to really know how the company is and works and helps them. But it's only a three-month process now. But if you can't make it three months in the mailroom, you probably can't handle the beat of being an agent. Well, interesting that you say that because when I went through the mailroom, I was in the mailroom for nine months. And I think the mailroom was a great weeding out process because as you say, you wouldn't put up with what you have to put up with if you weren't committed and driven. And some of the shit you had to deal with in the mailroom. Can I say shit on a podcast? We're on the internet. Okay, good. Some of the shit you had to put up with in the mailroom was good training for being in the client service business where you put up with shit on a daily basis. Okay, so you get to that next level where people have decided you're good enough and you've made it out of the mailroom because you've done your three months, you've gotten on somebody's desk and you just have to do it better and quicker and more efficiently than everyone else? You know what's interesting? Personality, I think, plays a big role in somebody getting ahead in life. And what's amazing to me is someone has a personality. You know right away if somebody gets it or not. We had a young kid who was actually in our New York office named Tommy Bruce. And Tommy Bruce was the best assistant and the best trainee I have ever seen because you just knew when he became an agent, he would be incredible. And you felt confident when he was an assistant that you could put him in a room with an artist and manager and he would connect with them. Tommy Bruce unfortunately left us about a year ago to work with Jeffrey Azoff and be manager of Harry Styles and Megan Trainer and start Full Stop Management, and he's doing an incredible job. But my barometer is Tommy Bruce. I always say now to the other agents when we're talking about somebody, are they Tommy Bruce? Well, at least when he left, he brought his axe back to you. Yeah, if he didn't, we would have had a big problem with him. <laughs> Becca Leifer, Operations Manager at Forest Hills. I'm on Promoter 101. Joining us first for three questions, we're going to welcome to the podcast Six Man's Trey Vetter. 
Welcome, dude. How you been? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Excellent, man. You got some questions for us? Yeah, let's see what we got here. First up, when you were old and gray, what stories will you tell your children? I will certainly tell my child about the first time I drank with Luke Pierce in Dallas, Texas, after a straight no chaser show where he was bumming cigarettes and ordering malteds at the Denny's at like 3.30 in the morning. And I was pretty sure we were going to get our asses kicked. (laughs) What else you got for us? As we watch the Woodstock 50 saga unfold, what are your thoughts on it all? And do they have a wild card saving grace up their sleeves? You know, when it comes to festivals, there really is no endless point of where somebody says, that's enough, this shouldn't happen. So will it or won't it? Will somebody come through with a big inheritance or a rich uncle and save the day? I don't know. What I will say is it probably should be let go at this point. The whole world thinks it's dead. Let it die, motherfucker. (laughs) All right. Last one. Third and done. Aiba, Polestar, etc. You guys have toured North America. Would you ever consider recording the Promoter 101 podcast live aboard a cruise ship? Connor's raising his hand. The Promoter 101 cruise. Get to hang out with your favorite people. Um, Sure. Let's do it. it. Sounds great. That would be different. Yeah. Why not? Trey, thanks so much. Enjoy your trip abroad. Make sure to uh, send a postcard to your friends at Promoter 101 and make sure not to drink the water, you know? You know we will. Take it easy, Sonny. I'll be good. The Great Trade Veteran Promoter 101. Thanks so much for having me, man. Known Trey for a very long time. Can't say enough good things about him and the entire six-man crew. On land or on sea, these guys are producing shows that are out of this world. Hi, it's Marcy Allen, president of Mac Presents, and honored to be on Promoter 101. Taking a break in between interviews to unveil the Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. Dan, who do we got? This one is special. You can be in L.A. or Austin or Minneapolis or Denver. It just doesn't matter. When you're talking about the legendary independent promoters, one of the last and best, Mike Krebs, does it all. I've been doing it for years. And a salute to a guy doing it with his own dollar and making it work. This week's Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. Hard to argue any of that. One of the last great indies. Congrats goes out to Mike Krebs. Now, there are a lot of shitty indies left, but very few great indies, which is why Mike is special and above the rest. This is true. Because in a land full of shitty independent promoters, there are a few that rise to the top that are great promoters. And Mike Krebs is certainly better than most. In a land of blind promoters, the one-eyed promoter is King Dead. (laughs) Fair enough, motherfucker. Hey, this is Mike McGinley. I'm here with Steiny, and we're on Promoter 101. We had her on the podcast, turning the tables last week against Steiny, but now we've got her back for a full interview. Joining us now for a full sit-down from CAA, K-Marsh, Christine Marshall. Welcome to the podcast. K-Marsh in the house! Woot. So I'm excited to finally have you on the podcast. It seems like a date with Destiny that we've been like trying to make happen for a while now. I know. You've had like all of my besties and faves, so it was only a matter of time, right? Well, you work up through the openers before you get to the headliner That's on the right. festival lineup. Yeah, Christine Marshall, the closer. Closer. I like that. That <laughs> seems like a great nickname for you, but can you give yourself a nickname? No, but we can make it start viral right now. Go viral the closer. No more K-Marsh. On to the closer. You ready to move up? I think <laughs> J-Lo will never lose J-Lo, though. 
I mean, you got to keep your roots. Okay. So let's get into it. You started in Pittsburgh with Rich Angler, and that's just historic because he is really the Bill Graham of that market. Yeah, absolutely. So it was just really cool spending some time with him, and we've kept up our relationship over the years. I know a lot of the guys from that original, you know, to Caesar Angler, to SFX, Clear Channel, Live Nation office. Um, Brian Dresky and I are really close, and Ed Traversary. So it's been really cool keeping in touch with all those guys. Pittsburgh has got a deep-rooted market. It's a working-class town, but it's a big city. It's a really good sample of America. When you do a show there, you can kind of get a pulse for how the rest of the country is going to do. It's a really good sampling right off the bat. Yeah, and it's a great college town, too. That's where I went to school. Great from the club level up to the more kind of symphony and more cultural things, which I wasn't doing as much of, honestly, in school. But I was kind of a bit of a nightclub rat of sorts when it came to going to shows and whatnot. So especially in the Deceaser Angler days where I kind of had to go to a lot of them and experience some shows that I wouldn't ordinarily have gone to. But, you know, I was just hungry to consume as much music as I could just getting into the industry and trying to I don't know, sink my ears into whatever I could. So what were some of those early day shows that you were working at first that you can remember? I ran for two shows, which was interesting. And it was kind of a yin and a yang situation. One was the Newsboys. A big Christian band. Yeah. And the other was Slipknot. Definitely not a Christian band. (laughs) Very much not. But it was definitely interesting experience on, on both ends. And also the first time I ever gassed up a car because I grew up in New Jersey where it's illegal to put gas in your car. Somebody else has to do it for you. Gas station attendant has to be there. Yeah, absolutely. So you moved from the world of Singular Angular, which became SFX, and you were there through that whole roll-up transition thing, and you got to do marketing and you got to do booking. Which side did you like better? I would probably say the marketing side, just because I kind of used some more creative juices, writing press releases. And, you know, because I was just an intern, it's not like I was actively booking or putting together ad plans per se. But I've got to do a lot of the extracurricular activities when it came to both internships. So, you know, I covered a lot of shows. I signed people up for the mailing list, poured beer, sold merchandise, worked in the box office. You name it. I did it basically just because I wanted to get as much experience as possible. It's funny. I've known Angler for most of my career. And every time I'd pop into Pittsburgh, we'd have lunch and catch up from early days on at Polestar. And I remember seeing him tip valets with Santana tickets, (laughs) keep a wad of tickets in his pocket for summer shows. Is that his idea of papering back then? It was kind of funny because it's just like, what are you doing? He's like, instead of giving them $20 out of my pocket, I'm giving them two tickets. so They drop $40 at my bar. (laughs) He's like, they're just lawn seats. What's the difference? They're happy. They're smiling. Nobody doesn't smile when you give them a pair of concert tickets. And early on, it was just like, Okay, that's baller move. <laughs> right. He's like, I saved, what, five, ten bucks that I would have given him in cash, and they're going to give me now $40 back at the bar. Interesting. Like, Go Rich Angler. That's <laughs> my mentor right there. Right. So who are some of the bigger bands you got to work with? Because they were the major. They got everybody. You must have gotten to do the stadium shows back then, right? Not stadiums. I'm trying to remember. I think Creed was a very big deal back then. They went diamond. Yeah. So my cousin even came up from Maryland to go to the show with me, and I impressed her greatly by being able to bring her backstage at what they called the Igloo back then, (laughs) the Civic Arena, and got to meet the band, which was pretty cool. Backstage is something that, you know, if you work in the industry, the 
the whole concept of being backstage at arena loses flair pretty quickly as you realize now. it's a locker room. <laughs> right. But for a you know, 19, 20 year old, it sounded pretty cool at the time. You did the post ring and you poured beer and whatever it took to make the show work, you were like all in. But there's one line on your bio that I just love more than any. Oh boy, I think I see where this is going. Right. Well, no, you gotta tell me about the story. You were a weird L backup dancer for one show? Yeah. What was it? So Brian Drusky was reviewing Weird Al's Rider and it called for two female backup dancers. And the show was coming up in Erie, Pennsylvania. And he came over to me and he said, hey, do you want to make 50 bucks? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, what do I have to do? And he said, you can be Weird Al's backup dancer for Smells Like Nirvana. I'm like, I'm not a dancer and I'm not really an onstage performer, but... Hell yeah. It's 50 bucks story. pays for a lot of beer. <laughs> right. So yeah, me and this other girl rehearsed our little made up routine and Weird Al was super nice backstage and basically told us to come up with whatever routine he wanted and just do it. He wanted to see it. We just debuted it on stage in the moment. And I think that was the, the moment when I realized that I am not meant to be on stage. I immediately forgot the entire routine. As soon as you saw the crowd. But Thankfully, it was Weird Al and, you know, this was not like Russian ballet or whatever. So I don't think technique was in in great demand uh, for that particular uh, engagement. So anyway, we managed to pull it off well enough. I made my 50 bucks, signed a couple autographs after the show. Did you really? I did. Yeah. There were some fans waiting you on backstage. Tour with him? Like, what's I, that's that what like? people wonder. They're like, oh my God, what is it like working with Weird Al? I'm like, well, tonight it was pretty cool. I can't speak for tomorrow or the night before, but that was my swan song. We may collaborate on some other stuff later. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah. And then all I can say is that I am super thankful that was pre-YouTube. Then you moved from the concert world to the agency world. How did that transition happen? Well, there was a little layover for about a year where I temped, including at an international Italian bank. And from there, I just kept trying to get into entertainment. And I wasn't particularly picky. I was interviewing at magazines and promoters, and I just wanted, I knew I wanted to be in entertainment. When ultimately, Brian Drusky had told me that ICM was looking for an assistant and that I should send Terry Rhodes my resume with a gift. And I said, a gift? And he said, yeah, you know, like whenever somebody sends me, you know, submissions for openers and they send me a present, I'm more likely to consider them. So you should send a gift. Whatever gets the job done, sure. Right. And, you know, this is clearly somebody that's been around for a bit. So maybe I should take their advice. So I sent Terry my resume with a box of chocolates and got an interview, did not get the job that time or the next two times over the course of the year that I interviewed at ICM until ultimately I got the job working for Scott Morris as his assistant. So you're there, you make agent. How long did that take? I think it was about three and a half years. Okay, so actually it probably seemed like forever then, but not that bad in in hindsight. Yeah, no. And I felt like I was ready at that point. I didn't want to rush into it and... I just kind of wanted to feel secure in my promotion. And I think I was. You ran. You did marketing. You did the concert side of things. You were an onstage performer for one night with sure, Weird Al. absolutely. And then an assistant on a desk at an agency. So before you became an agent, you had kind of sampled a good part of the entire industry. Yeah, and I think that kind of gives me a good base knowledge of how things go and the promoter's perspective. So I kind of pride myself on really listening to all sides involved because obviously 
shit happens and we all get into situations that are not ideal. And just really listening, I think, is an important part of our job and understanding everybody's plight and what is the best way we can all move forward as amicably as possible. So ICM, you had a lot of success. You were RA for several bands that did really well as well as comedians. You played both sides of that. Mm -hmm. And then you moved into CAA after a couple of years recently. And that transitions, what, a couple of years now? Yeah, it'll be two years come July. Okay. And how did that come to be? So um, I'd been at ICM almost 16 years, which is, you know, a fair amount of time. And I was very comfortable, which, you know, has its pros and its cons. And I was getting to the point where I felt like I needed a new challenge. I felt like I had grown as much as I could professionally. And while I love, love, love so many people there and respect them and I'm still really close to a lot of the people there, I just kind of felt like it was time for kind of a bigger and more exciting challenge of sorts. So just really wanted to explore other options. And I felt like the opportunity presented itself at CAA and the timing just seemed right. And I knew a couple of people there already who seemed really happy. And the sense that I got was that it's a very forward-thinking company, very collaborative. So things that I really admired, and obviously the rosters to dive for, include some of my favorite bands and artists. So it just really was the right time. And I kept hearing about the culture of CAA and how important it was to the overall success of the company. And, you know, basically the motto is something along the lines of when we take good care of each other, good things will happen. And I think that really shows internally. And, you know, it didn't take long for me being there for people to trust my skills and my work ethic to bring me into the loop on certain artist teams and really search out opportunities for me to be more collaborative with the overall team. You know, that seems to be a big thing at CAA is the team booking. It's not just one person reps this act. I mean, there's some of that. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of cases, it's a couple of people together will collaborate. It seems to be like growing in the industry, too, is a thing where artists have teams at agencies. There'll be a couple people from music, maybe some film and TV people, maybe some literature. If there's a passion project that they're working on there, but they're, they're building these teams where it's not just one person. Right. And I think it's really smart in a lot of ways because we all have different strengths and things that we could improve upon. So I think working collaboratively with other people, both in and outside the department, really helps us grow individually as well. You know, I'm working on the Soul Rebels, uh, which is a New Orleans brass band, and they're incredible. And so there are two other people in the music department on our team, and we all bring different insight and expertise to the project. And it just seems to work. Okay. So let's talk about some of the clients that you do work with. And obviously you just mentioned the Soul Rebels. Lindsey Buckingham is a legendary artist. Fleetwood Mac. Phenomenal. Ever, and yeah. Like amazing songwriter. Mm -hmm. And then the Wallflowers. I mean, how epically cool are the Wallflowers? They're pretty epically cool. And Jacob in particular is epically cool. In fact, Jacob has already released a music documentary called Echo in the Canyon. So he'll be front and center in that. And he interviews Tom Petty before he passed away, Brian Wilson, I believe Eric Clapton. So really, really cool documentary that everybody should check out. 
you're over at CAA, you're in this massive agency, which, and you came from a massive agency. I assume it's one of the big six agencies too. Right. But there's got to be a lot of similarities between those agencies that are full service that you're already used to. Just different acts, different rosters, different people. Right. And obviously Scott was already at ICM, so you had that going for you. You guys already had that connection since you were on his desk. Right. Transition was reasonably easy in that, you know, obviously a lot of the protocols are the same. A lot of the types of deals we're doing, it's just in some cases different scale and uh, different artists. So there's always that learning curve when you've got artists and don't know their requirements right off the bat, but you learn quickly enough and adjust from there. Okay. So you focus on the Southeast. That's kind of your territory. Right. And you've worked in the festivals, the amphitheaters, the arenas. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite place to focus on? Do you have like, this is really my wheelhouse. This is where I'm most comfortable. Well, I'm certainly thankful that I've had the broad base of working with so many different types of venues and promoters and buyers. I did really like the festival space when I was doing it, but I don't do it as much now. And maybe I'm slightly thankful that there are people that are doing it day in, day out and better equipped just because the landscape has changed so much over the last several years. And it just seems to be a very crowded space. But I know that our folks in the festival department at CAA are just super well-versed in navigating all of that. And I do obviously have artists that are in that space, perform in that space regularly. So I'm glad to have the experts that are in the trenches day in, day out. And I still like going to festivals. But as far as kind of where my comfort level expertise, I mean, theaters probably mostly and amphitheaters, it just seems to be most of the artists that I am booking day in, day out. That's where they live. And just pure volume, right? There's just more shows in those spaces. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the promoters and buyers uh, I get along with really well. So, I mean, half the battle of any job is just getting along with the people you work with. So they're the people inside the four walls that you show up to day in and day out. And I do love my team at CAA, but where do you spend all day on the phones and have to deal with, you know, a number of presenters and buyers and promoters. And I just really like a lot of them and count some of them as really good friends. Now, we go back quite a long ways now, you and me. Right. Very similar social circle for a very long time. Indeed. I don't know that I've ever seen you as mad as uh, <laughs> a night at Faces and Names. You introduced me to two people that have become very close friends of mine over the last handful of years. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought you were going to beat the living shit out of me. It was more kind of shocked, I think. No, I, in fact, I believe it's been referenced on Promoter 101 before. So for dedicated listeners, uh, maybe they will already know it. In our younger days. That's right. <laughs> so it started with a dinner where perhaps there were some beverages of the adult variety. And so the plan was to meet up at Faces and Names, the post-APAP haunt, right? And I said, well, I'll meet you there because I'm going to pick up a couple of friends at the London. So I swung by and picked up Ted Heinig and Brian Benson from AC Entertainment. And then we went over to Faces and Names. And I was chatting with Double B, as I like to call him, and Teddy Money as I like to call him. I love those nicknames. Yeah. And you came over and you started kind of messing with bodily hair on the two of them. And I didn't well, really... Well, Ted's got the best hair in the industry. He's got... They both have fabulous hair. I mean, it's, it's like Michael Belkin and Ted Heinig. I don't know who would win on the fight out for best hair. I think you'd have to go into Nashville and, and Traeger would probably win. <laughs> 
He's got some money hair. There's got to be some sort of Facebook poll or something that's going to happen about best promoter hair or something. Anyway, so it's been butterflies and rainbows ever since. Never occurred to me that it might horrify one of them. (laughs) Some stranger randomly was messing with them. Obviously bygones. We have fun moments together. It's true. So what are you excited about? What's in the future? What's in the future? What am I excited about? A couple of our new signings. I'm really excited to be working with Titus Burgess right he's now. He's kind of blowing up right now. There's a great buzz. Yeah, yeah. So he's got a couple of big shows coming up at the Kennedy Center and Carnegie Hall. No big deal. And um, Those sound like very big deals. I know. <laughs> I think as an agent, you've misunderstood and misrepresented those plays. <laughs> or was that sarcasm? I believe it's sarcasm, yes. Undersell, undersell. Yes. So, yeah, and obviously he's a fabulous actor and he's just super talented vocally. So we'll look forward to seeing what comes down the pike for him. Noelle Wells, also who is a comedian and actress and director and writer and kind of multi-hyphenate. Damn, pick a talent. I know. Well, now she's added like singing and songwriting and she's got a beautiful voice and she's got a full-length album that's ready to see the world hopefully uh, later on this summer. So excited to see what happens for her. But yeah, these are a couple of the ones that are busting onto the scene that I'm personally excited about. And of course, we've got a bunch of fabulous artists that I've been tracking internally. I mean, obviously, uh, Maggie Rogers is blown up. Having a nice moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's kind of everywhere. I really like this band, Welshley Arms, uh, that's been around for a little while. And they're just like a solid rock band. Do you have any advice for some of the younger people coming up in the business for career longevity? Oh, my gosh. Where do I start? I have so much advice. Let's see. Go to any show you can. I just consume as much music, even if it's not in your wheelhouse, if it's not something that you would necessarily play at home in your downtime, because you don't know if you're going to have to work with that artist one day. It might be good to actually understand what they're about, what their crowd's about. Network, 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 which goes comes along with going to the shows, right? Also, make yourself indispensable, because I, I've just watched so many assistants say, look, I've been here for two, three four years and I haven't been promoted yet. The question is, well, what have you done to be promoted? What position is there to be promoted into? And if there isn't a position to be promoted into, what do you bring to the table that can convince your boss to create a position for you? And I think a lot of people just look at it as a timeline and not the accolades that it takes to get there because just doing the job and doing it well isn't always enough, right? Until somebody gets fired or, you know, leaves, you've got to really go above and beyond because all of us have gone above and beyond and there's no set timeline. It really is a service business. Yeah. And the other thing is make your accomplishments known, right? And especially I think women in particular are very hard workers, but also don't necessarily trumpet their accomplishments, right? They're happy to do a good job, but unless everybody else knows about it, you know, you might not get the recognition you deserve. You know, I think it's really important to to take stock of what your value is and the humble brag might go a long way. Thank you so much for taking time and talking with me today on Promoter 101. Oh, thanks for having me. The great Kmarsh and Promoter 101. Thanks. We all love Kmarsh. So great to have her right here on Promoter 101. This is Marcia Vlasic, president of AGI Talent Agency on Promoter 101. The quote of the week comes to us from the late, great concert promoter, Barry Fay. 
There are only two kinds of people, people who buy tickets and those who don't. That's kind of how I see the world, Luke. That's very, very black and white of you, Dan. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm a pretty simplistic guy. Mitch LaFon here from Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. You are listening to Promoter 101. Hey, that concludes our broadcast today. Episode 164 of Promoter 101 in the bag. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thank you for the wonderful reviews. And thank you to our amazing guests this week. From CA, Christine Marshall, and from Sixth Man, Trey Vetter. We appreciate you giving some time, some insight. And we'll return on Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. on the coast. And hey, that's midnight, I think, in London. So stay up late, have a listening party, maybe get some pints out, some fish and chips. And listen to Promoter 101 Thursday, right at the stroke of the new day. On Thursday, we will be back with an excellent interview from Q Prime. Actually, he'd want me to say Q Prime South. We're going to have Fielding Logan talking management for the Black Keys, Eric Church, Ashley McBride, so many more great names. They're just on fire right now with what's going on with Brothers Osborne. Eric is selling multiples out at all the arenas. And man, Black Keys are about to kick up a huge arena tour. Can't wait to pick his mind right here as the Nashville sessions kick it off off next week. But until then, we're wishing you sold out shows for the week to come. Cheers, motherfucker. Call your mother. That's been Promoter 101. This episode's brought to you today by Connor at Connor Phoenix. Yo. Hey, it's Mary Hilliard Harrington with Red Light Management. You're listening to Promoter 101.